Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. Beyond the Mask is also sponsored by crnaeducation.com. CRNAs, you can get the CE credits you need by just going to crnaeducation.com. They have over 100 AANA prior approved credits, all four core CPC modules, and even over 40 pharmacology credits. No subscriptions, it's all online and mobile friendly. Just go to crnaeducation.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out our CE credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Hey there, this is Sharon. Jeremy couldn't join me today. However, listeners, I've been joined by one of our new guest co-hosts, Tracy Castleman. Of course, she's not so new anymore because she's been with me for several podcasts. Tracy's been a longtime friend of mine and is one of the group I affectionately call the Fab Four. Tracy, thank you for joining me today. Tell me, how was your day today? (laughs) Hi, Sharon. Uh, My day was, you know, a day in in the life of a CRNA at work. Um, It was better than I thought it was going to go. Um, To be honest, I had a canceled case. I had a changed surgeon, which was for the better. But of course, the commute home trying to get here to be with you proved to be a little bit of a challenge. We have the county fair going on, which is in my town. And on the highway near work, they decided to cut grass. But other than that, I had a good day. Well, I've been in the car with you in New Jersey, and your personality changes as you drive. So, it wasn't just me. Everybody was sharing that hello sign that we like to use in New Jersey. (laughs) Well, Tracy, we have a fantastic guest with us today, and we have with us Representative Keith Denning. Keith, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, very much so, and thank you for having me. Well, um, I'm going to just go ahead and let you kick it off and tell us why you're on the show today and what your new uh, career path is. Well, after 39 years of of working in the operating room and surgery centers and a short time with the uh, Johnson & Johnson career with Sedasis, I uh, moved to Connecticut to be closer to my kids after uh, at the end of my career. And practiced here a few years and uh, got involved with local politics. I ran for a local town position and lost in December. And when the legislature that year was in 2020, they had redistricted the maps for population. And of course, COVID moved a lot of people up into Fairfield County. They moved a new district from the east over to the west. And no one had had that district. And I was asked by my local Democratic Town Committee to 
run for that office. And since I've always been interested in politics, wanting to know how things worked or didn't work, if I could make them better, if I was qualified to do it, I threw my hat in the ring and uh, did the work. And I won. So it was an open seat that you ran for. Correct. And uh, it was actually, I ran as a Democrat. It was actually proportioned to be a Republican seat. But Connecticut, although everyone thinks of Connecticut as a blue state, and we often have uh, overall blue, there are many, many areas of red here in Connecticut. So did you have a primary or did you just have a general election? No, I had no primary. I had a general election. I had difficulty because government's a little different here in Connecticut in that it's all based on your towns. And so it's a lot of volunteer work. I had a hard time finding a treasurer and a campaign manager. However, I was able to hire a uh, company called Blue Edge Strategies, which is a company that helps Democrats in Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, win and run for office. And so I hired them. Connecticut is also a state where you don't have to accumulate your own funding. If you agree to only use what money they give you, they will give you right this year, it's about $32,000. And all I had to do is raise $6,000 on my own, no more than $290 per contributor and get 300 signatures. So I spent the first two months of last year calling people, asking for five, twenty, thirty dollar donations and signing my petition to run. And when I met that money, I was able to get the thirty two thousand dollars through my treasurer. And that gave me my campaign funding. So um, as one door closed for you in December, another one opened. But you you've mentioned a couple of things. Now, Sharon, of course, is very savvy about um, the campaign trail. I participated a little bit in one quite a few years ago when my brother ran for um, state's attorney in Maryland. But you mentioned things uh, about funding, finding a treasurer. Connecticut is the type of state that how did you go about finding out the particulars of your state in order to run? You you just dropped a little bit of you kind of did like a CRNA thing where we all start talking <laughs> in code. There's some pieces along your pathway that you just talked about that were hard for me to follow because I don't understand the language. So when Got you it. were starting off, what did you have to find out about your state? What was important? Well, what was important, really, you don't, I had, I had always followed the state wherever I lived, whether it was a, when I lived in Ohio or Indiana or North Carolina, I always studied state politics. And it's not so important that you understand state politics as much as how much you understand local politics. Uh, I think it was uh, O'Neill, Tom O'Neill, who said all politics is local. And that's exactly the case because you're representing your district in Hartford, which is our capital. So I did a lot of reading. There's one particular issue with a, what we call affordable workforce housing, which is, I think, everywhere now in the country, is how do we find enough places for new people who are graduating and people who want to step down and people who are in our workforce find places to live in some of the areas where it's become very, very expensive. And so I had to become an expert on the laws that affected housing. I had to become an expert on how people in Connecticut were taxed, what were the taxes that they liked the best, and which is nothing, and the taxes <laughs> that they really didn't like, because those are the ones that you had to understand. But really what you have to do 
the key to winning an election is what Blue Edge taught me, which is you need to knock on doors and talk to your constituents. And the first question you ask is, what's most important to you? And they will tell you what you need to know to win your election. So how did you assemble your team? You just started asking people. I mean, you know, I've run for office and I had a team of CRNAs who went door knocking with me, even though it's hard to get people to go do that. It's one of the most fun things I, I did, and I'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. But how did you get your team put together? So in Connecticut, each town has a Democratic town committee and a Republican town committee based on the number of people who live in your town. And so normally it's between 20 and 30 people that can be on the committee. Those people are the backbone to help you get elected. And so I was had three towns. I had part of New Canaan and all of Wilton and part of Ridgefield. So New Canaan and Ridgefield Democratic Town Committees helped me. But my core base was the Wilton Democratic Town Committee. And when I hired Blue Edge Strategies, they said a guy named Tripp Holtgrew, and he was phenomenal. And he said, don't go to events, don't go out to parades, and don't do anything other than I'm going to give you a list of doors to knock on. And you go door to door, knocking on doors. And I started that in May for the November race. And I didn't really have anybody else knocking on doors with me until August because nobody, it's really hard to find people who want to knock on doors. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it's like you said, it's so much fun because you learn so much about people and what's important to them that I was had to hone my message of what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. So the first three months of me knocking on doors every day, three to five hours a day, wow. I did over five, I did over 5,000 doors in five months. I talked <laughs> with anybody and everybody. I learned a lot. And by the time I got to the debates, I didn't even have to prepare for my debates because I had so much information and knowledge and background that I could speak off the cuff and be clear and succinct about what I wanted to say. So knock on doors. If you want to win an election, knock on doors. That takes a lot of endurance to do it for that long. I remember doing cold calling for my brother on the phone and hour and a half in almost when I'd hit the two hour mark, I was exhausted from uh, calling, introducing, giving the message, listening and moving on. Um, Clearly, you wanted this. You have to want it. You have to be willing to do the work. If you don't do the work, you're not going to win. And especially with me, I was running against a woman who was on the town council, had been on the town council for a while, was known to be represented with the, the, the major town charity event, was very well known. And I had lived here uh, at the time. I had lived here four and a half years. So I was not well known. COVID was two of those years. So I didn't get out to meet very many people. And so I really had to get out there and introduce myself. Now, there are always extenuating circumstances to elections. And the reversal of Roe v. Wade helped me an incredible amount. Because once that happened, the entire tone of the message from voters changed from Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm worried about housing issues to they're taking away my rights. And so as I listened to people talk about that, both men and women, And then we talked about other things that they were concerned about. 
the message of my campaign morphed from one of how how do we how do we fix our taxing situation and how do we make it more affordable in Connecticut too? How do we make sure Connecticut becomes a safe state for reproductive rights? And how do we make sure that the trans and LGBTQ people have a place here in our community? And how do we make sure you can do medical treatments? And I let the voters tell me what was important to them. And from there, I, I think I did a good enough job that I was able to persuade mostly the undeclared, not the Republicans or the Democrats, but the undeclared voter to vote for me as more responsible and um, a moderate, actually. Attention all certified nurse anesthetists. Are you in need of a reliable and quality continuing education option? Well, look no further than crnaeducation.com. We are an NBCRNA-recognized provider, offering all four core CPC modules to meet your certification requirements. You can choose from more than 100 AANA prior-approved Class A CE credits with 43 articles covering a wide range of anesthesia topics. Need pharmacology CE credits? Well, we've got you covered there as well, with over 40 pharmacology CE credits available. All credits are completed online and are mobile-friendly. Choose articles worth one, two, or three credits. There's no subscriptions, no hidden fees, just the CE credits you need when you need them. Owned by CRNAs since 2011, you can trust in our commitment to your education. And customer service is always a quick email or phone call or even text away. To sign up and find out more about our education options, visit crnaeducation.com, your partner in continuing education. That's crnaeducation.com. So let's back up. You said each town had a committee. What would have happened if you would have had a primary? Do they just, they don't work for either candidate until the primary's over? (laughs) Exactly. If you caucus, when we have a caucus here, if you caucus and it's very close, you can primary. My decision was, if I was, if somebody had wanted this job, I was going to let them have it. I was not so wedded to the idea that I had to, that I was going to, that I was going to work so hard to primary another Democrat. Maybe they were actually better, but there was no other Democrat. Remember, it was a new seat. Mm-hmm. Nobody in our district wanted the, the position as a Democrat. And therefore, I took it to help fill the seat because I was part of the Democratic Town Committee, too. And I didn't want to leave a seat on our open for anybody who was running for office. So I I kind of felt like this was my opportunity if I was ever going to run for office to do that opportunity and do, see if I could do it. So I did. And did you. <laughs> Boy, did you. <laughs> um, so. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, but there's got to be an internal reason why you won't want to run and why you wanted to run. And what would that be? Well, I like I said, I, I've been a nurse anesthetist for 40 years and things have changed so much. And I have uh, one son, three young grandchildren. I've always been involved in the political spectrum. I felt like things had kind of, you know, they're nationally Things were breaking apart. Uh, I thought the election of 2016 was devastating for our country, uh, very disruptive. 
I felt like no new norms were being set that I was not comfortable with. And I felt that if unless I got involved at some level, there was no way we were going to work for it. Um, I, as a nurse anesthetist, believe that more people need to have access to health care. I believe that reproductive care is a right. I believe that health care is a human right. I believe that we should be taking care of those the most vulnerable in our society. I don't believe that taxing the poor, and uh, we live in a very wealthy state, and at the same rate that we tax the rich is not necessarily the right way to do things. We had we have to rebuild our infrastructure. There's a point in my life that I, I can see that I'm not going to be here more than, I mean, I have another 20 spins around the sun, and then I may be gone. But I want to make sure that the people after me have a nice planet to live on. It's environmentally healthy. Uh, their food is safe. There are things that we can do in our local governments to help work on that, that that are very important as well as on our national. So I felt if I got involved, um, I actually never expected to win. And so once I won, then it, it put a whole different spin on now, how do I implement this into things that I can actually try to change and work with other people to implement? And so that's the phase that I'm in now. So Keith, when, so you decide to run, it's, um, it's an open seat, it's brand new. As you started campaigning, were there um, any obstacles that occurred early on, either that you anticipated or didn't anticipate, and or did it evolve? Did you get pushback oh, from any of the yeah. position groups? In my district, no one pushed back on uh, being a CRNA. Uh, again, I, all three of my towns are suburbs of New York City. There are doctors there, but uh, most of the people who represent the wealth there are, are financiers, bankers, stockbrokers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think anybody in my district was really even aware of what I did when I would introduce myself as a nurse anesthetist. I almost always had to explain what the difference mm-hmm. was. Um, the medical community did not respond at all until I got to the legislature. And that's when I met the pushback. Oh, after you were elected. And what did that look like? Oh, that's very fascinating. So I had passed a bill or I had introduced a bill. We have long sessions, which are five months, short sessions, which are three months. During a long session, which we just finished, you are allowed in the first 10 to 15 days to introduce any bill that you wanted to introduce. I introduced 10 just to see how they would go. One of them was on human composting. One of them was on election laws allowing more people to vote. One of them, though, was on allowing for nurse anesthetists in Connecticut to practice independently of a physician. And, um, yeah. And you started off I small, I, was, I see. Oh, well, I trust me. I was the, I hate to say it, but they, the physician groups were almost as angry with me as the Connecticut Association of Nurse Anesthetists because they didn't know I was going to do this. Okay. And I uh, was, a, I had been on the board before. I had served in the Connecticut Association and felt a lot of reticence to move in this direction because they didn't feel like they had CRNA support. I felt like they did. And if I threw this on the table, they would have to deal with it. And so 
we'll go back to that story. Anyway, I put this on my very first day of going in and I have a meeting on the insurance committee and I see that my bill has been inside to the insurance committee to see where it's going to go. The very first day, a doctor showed up from the public health committee and made a procedural move to move that bill from insurance to public health. He was mm-hmm. chair he was chair of public health. He was also a democrat just like I am. The rest of the committee, this is my again my first legislature first meeting. I wasn't sure what to do but I opposed it and I told them why. But the rest of the committee because they knew this senator from a long time, he was well, well represented most doctors in the legislature are, most nurses in the legislature are, they moved that bill out of the bill to public health. Where that bill got to public health, that bill was never brought up for discussion. So the bill died. And then also in the same, when I went to the, I'm also on the public health committee because I'm, again, I think insurance committee, public health committee are important uh, for my background. And, um, when I got to public health, the doctor introduced a bill that said anyone working in a hospital has to wear a name tag, specifically describing what they are. Like you can't call yourself a nurse anesthesiologist, you're a nurse. And um, he oh. proposed another bill that you could only use ologists if you'd had a, behind your name a cardiologist, endocrinologist, you could only have ologists behind your title if you had a doctorate of medical degree or DO. And uh, so that became my battle was to stop that from happening and, no, and educating the rest of the members of the committees to say, this is not good. Um, this is not gonna help be helpful to healthcare. And we need this needs to stop. And I was able to stop it with the help of a Senator who's also a nurse and we worked together and, and together we were able to vote that down in committee and it never went to the floor. But I was amazed that it, my very first year, there was such strong pushback from the uh, anesthesiologists in the state trying to limit expansion of CRNA practice. And my goal now is to educate the rest of the legislature how if we, we have such a shortage of providers of everybody in the state, and not only, I mean, pick a profession, we don't have enough people. We have 100,000 open jobs in Connecticut. And if we want to provide anesthesia services, one of the ways we can do it is advanced practice nursing. We can uh, allow PAs to practice to their full authority. We can about allow advanced practice nurses to practice to their full authority. And we can make it better for the patients, the healthcare system, and the state by having these people practicing to their full level of authority. And that's what we're doing right now. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. All right, so I want to back up. Since you have public funding for campaigns, 
the ologists didn't come out against you in your campaign. The reason why I'm asking is because whenever I ran, they opened up a super PAC with an independent expenditure and dumped a quarter of a million dollars in against me. Wow. So that's, um, it's just amazing that you can run someplace and not get that kind of pushback. Well, what were you running? Were you running for a statewide position or? It was um, a house rep seat, just like the one that you currently sit in. Oh, a house rep. We don't have that kind of, we, so if I take that funding as well as my, my opponent took that funding, so no one could put that kind of money in the campaign. Okay, but if your Can't. opponent wouldn't have taken that funding because the guy ran against me was a contractor, and uh, but they didn't care. They just wanted to make sure somebody won, uh, not me. Right. So. And, yes, yeah, so, so each state is different. You have to mm-hmm. understand the financing. And um, I did have nurses from other states offer to open up super PACs for me, and I told them we can't do that here. Yeah. So. I had access to money. I don't think I would have gotten a quarter of a million dollars, but I did get pushback from, like I said, once I got to the legislature, the Connecticut uh, Medical Association, and I did have a meeting before session, and they were telling me that they wanted to preserve scope of practice. I knew the doctor. He's a gastroenterologist and very nice, but I also knew that the anesthesiologists in the state were and still are adamantly against me getting this through. And they're working through the doctors that are in the Senate and uh, Connecticut to keep it from happening. So it's very political. What we are doing is I've coming back to the association. They were thrown off guard. They decided to do a survey. The majority of nurse anesthetists in Connecticut want to be independent practice. So the association got involved and they testified for us at a couple of hearings. And now we're going through the public health department to see if we can change the scope of practice. And that's what we're hoping for. They're gonna have the appeal ready or the, um, they're, they're doing an appeal. It has to be submitted by August and the public health department will take five or six months to review it. Hopefully we'll add that into their practice and then it doesn't have to have a legislative change It's just done through public health. I know, though, that there are many, many, many physicians writing public health saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So it's going to be political for a while. We'll see what happens. It's going to be. I think it'll be political forever. forever. (laughs) Um, Keith, have you Uh thought about um, partnering at all with the insurance companies and talking about how this bill increases the number of providers in the state, um, which increases competition, which is always good for the bottom line, because if the product being anesthesia isn't quite as dear, these anesthesiologists won't be able to just run up the cost. I know um, Nick Nick Blank did a lot of that in New Jersey, um, talking with the insurance companies about the value of increasing providers. You've got a provider network already here, established, provided quality, yada, 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 because they are the the most powerful lobby especially in a state like Connecticut, in your state house, I would assume. They are a powerful lobby. They get it. They already understand it. Right now, they're trying, I think, to avoid the issue and not get involved. But 
All of them know my position on it. The real goal is I have to educate the rest of my legislative colleagues mm-hmm. to, the re- to the reality of how we can help fix the shortage of healthcare providers in the state. I have partnered with the Connecticut Association of Advanced Practice Nurses to work with them to educate their members, our members, their lobbyists, our lobbyists, so that we can get everybody educated as to what we're doing. Um, But I have talked with the insurance lobbyists. I've met with insurance companies. They kind of want to stay off this. They don't want to get involved in a turf battle, but they totally get it that we would be more affordable. So you have just finished your first session, if I heard you correctly. So tell us what have you learned during this first session? I have learned that just because it's a good bill doesn't mean it's going to get passed. Mm -hmm. I have learned that a bill can die a thousand different ways that you can vote on a building committee and then it goes through sorting. And then the parties decide which bill is important to them. And there's a lot of backroom negotiation that goes on. And I've learned that democracy is, they call it making the sausage. And I, always thought that what that what that meant was was that you had to work together to get everything ground to get and put together so that it was edible and what i really means is it's a bloody messy horrible thing you should never eat because there's backroom deals there are people who are working behind you that may be in your own party maybe who will say that you're there for you or not for you. And everybody has their own vested interests as to what they want to get done. And so democracy, at least the way it's practiced and at the state level, and I, this is the same in the, in the um, legislature and Congress, the only people who can bring a bill to the floor is either the majority leader in the Senate or the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. And that's the same in our, and, and, I question the wisdom of that because there are many, many bills that should be voted on so that there's a record of whether you voted yes or no. And instead, in Connecticut, it's not voted on unless it's going to pass. And so you can leave a no if you're you're against the bill, but the bill, if it's put up on the board to vote on, it's going to pass. I'm not sure that works in a viable democracy anymore. And um, but again, my first year, I'm still learning. Chairmans have very uh, quite a bit of power. I always knew that. I didn't know how, what that power was or how it's expressed. But I learned that chairmen can, for example, pull a bill from another committee, make it their own, and then not act on it and stop it right there. So there's a lot of procedural things that I've learned that. I think that if the American people learned about, they would be concerned about. And this is my message back to my constituents is you really have to advocate and, and strongly as constituents to make sure you're heard, because otherwise people in other parts of the states whose chairs may represent their constituents may shout you out because you're not talking. And so involvement by the people and staying on top of it is the most powerful thing we can do in our country, in our states, to to let people actually manage their lives to their best ability. Well, I've learned that even if 
it will pass. It may not get to the floor. We've got a, a Speaker of the House who has held a bill up in North Carolina for four years, and we know we've got the votes uh, to get it passed, but he won't let it go to the floor. Yes, we have the same thing with a, we have a medical aid and dying bill that has gone through the floor for four times. And um, he is determined as the chair of the legislative body to stop it. And he has the power to just make sure that because it has to go to his committee before it can be voted by the whole house. He just kills it there and nothing ever happens. Again, if the if people understood how that really mm-hmm. worked, I don't think I, I agree. could agree with it. So, Keith, how I did agree. your other bills go? The composting one, and <laughs> did those get through? The composting bill went to the floor, but was never voted, never pulled up. There were too many people against it. Um, it's going to take some education. People aren't quite sure what that is yet, and it's not the most, you know easy topic to discuss. So we think that'll pass in one or two sessions. I opened up a bill for people to be able to buy cars directly. Uh, for example, for without auto dealerships and here in Connecticut, you have to buy cars through dealerships. Uh, so Tesla doesn't have a dealership here. Fisker and all these other companies don't have dealerships here. And I had hoped that we could do that so we could get more electric cars going. The one bill that did go through was also was, believe it or not, the Speaker of the House had proposed pretty much the same thing, which was blighted buildings in Connecticut. The towns could not cause any fines or or condemn them with businesses. They could do homes, but not businesses. We allowed businesses to do it. But it's not because I proposed it. It was because the Speaker wanted it and his bill went through. So as long as it gets done, I'm not worried about the, the who gets credit for it. I just want it to get done because there's a lot of good things. In fact, there's a lot of very important things that I don't know about your states, but in our state, we need to really address the climate crisis. And we're not doing it through our energy production, our trash elimination, um, how we're moving forward with uh, solar panels, how we're moving forward on the electric grid. And um, the legislature seems to be reticent i'll use the word reticent to move to make any major changes and i think with having had the hottest july on the history of the planet we should have some wake-up calls and make some serious decisions so keith tell me crnas have a lot of different skills were there skills that you had as a crna do you think that transferred to your ability to govern CRNAs are the smartest people I know. So. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. We're up there. Yeah. Yeah, we're up there. We, we do our work. We do our homework. I think one of the great skills we have is if you've done it right in your practice, you could learn the power of collaboration and take that into the rest of your life because you have to work with the pre-op nurses, the post-op nurses. You have to work with the scheduler. You have to work with the physicians the surgeons, the radiologists. We work as a team in the operating room and everybody has their own role and you have to respect that team. And oftentimes anesthesia is the core of assembling that team and working together to make sure things are being done. And we also were brave enough to say no. 
when something isn't going right. We recognize it quickly and we look for solutions outside the box or even within the box to fix them and make it make it better for the patient and the staff. So one last question as we're getting ready to wrap this up. I know that you've got an event that you've got to be at. And so if you had any advice for other CRNAs who want to run, what would it be and would you encourage them to do so? Here's what I would recommend. It's time consuming to run. It will take away from your practice, but do it anyway. If you're interested, do it anyway, because the, the younger you are, the more time you'll have to make a change the way the process works. So don't be afraid of the hours. You're putting in a lot of hours anyway. You're going to make some money for it. For example, we pay for a part-time, it's $40,000 a year. It's not that much money compared to doing anesthesia. But once you get into your career and you're settling down and, and your family is getting settled, if you can do it, get involved because we have great skills and insights as to make healthcare faster, cheaper, more efficient, and better, as well as other problems that we are aware of, because you're right, we're well-read, we're well-educated. Uh, most of us uh, have an understanding of what's going on around us. And with that, we can make change. And if I had done anything different, I, I should have run before I retired. I should have run 10 or 15 years ago. Well, there you have it. Tracy, have you got any follow-up questions for Keith before we let him go? Keith, thank you for waiting the few extra minutes for me. No, I, it's really impressive how um, you're very passionate about this and, and you didn't just run to push CRNA interest. You're, you know, you're there for the whole kit and caboodle. You want to leave Connecticut or the, and the world better than um, the way it is right now. And I think it's very admirable for the way you are governing and you're trying to lead and make a difference. Thank you. Thank you. I think you're Although do well I will say so far, I hope that message comes across to your constituents because boy, I'd like you to be um, the person I would get to vote for. And I mean, oh, well, thank you. You're, you're very kind. Um, I am working for CRNAs. Like I said, I, I'm dragging them along actually behind me. I, it's nice now that they're on board with me, mm -hmm. but it was really, I knew I had to collaboration had failed when I, as when I was on the board, trying to get them to move forward with pushing for legislation, I couldn't get them to do it. Once I became a legislator, I didn't have to ask permission. I just did it. And so <laughs> That motivated the, you know, sometimes that's what leadership requires sure. is you have to just do it and say, come with me. And hopefully they will. And they are. And I'm hoping we'll get this done. So that's my goal. And then, like I said, I'm I at a panel yesterday with public health trying to figure out why our, our health care costs are expensive here. I have experts from all over the world at my fingertips. I have resources from uh, all the legislative bodies throughout the states. I talk with national leaders and local leaders. Uh, tonight, I'm going to meet Chris Murphy. That's what my appointment is. Uh, I work with my congressman, Jim Himes. Uh, the governor knows me. The lieutenant governor knows me. The secretary of state knows me. The comptroller, the treasurer. And so I have this vast array of assets now that if I have my constituents have a problem, 
I know how to help them. And that's the greatest gift of politics is that you can help people in their day-to-day life. So Keith, if a CRNA in Connecticut is listening right now and they want to learn more, how can they get in touch with you? I am on the uh, CGA website. It's Keith, K-E-I-T-H dot Denning, D-E-N-N-I-N-G at CGA, Connecticut General Assembly dot G-O-V, gov. And uh, you can email me. Uh, you can Google me. I will show up under a variety of different things, as we talked about before. And uh, if you want to get involved, get involved with the association. If you want to run for office, contact me and I'll help you. Well, Keith, we appreciate everything you're doing and every single one of those assets, as you call them, which I love, now know what a CRNA is because of you. And so you're helping us get the word out and no longer are we the best kept secret in healthcare, thanks to people like you. (laughs) People and people like me. Yes, we have to keep going forward. So I think it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Mass with the absent Jeremy Stanley, myself, Sharon Pierce, and guest co-hosts. Tracy Castleman. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Tracy, can you tell our listeners how to help the show grow? The best way to help is to like the show, share it on social media, tell your friends, and leave a review, but please make it positive. As Jeremy says, we all know there's enough negativity in the world. Beyond the Mask is in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and number one in the CRNA community. Thank you to all our listeners. Until the next time. Hey, CRNAs, it's time to simplify your continuing education. Welcome to CRNAeducation.com, your trusted provider for CPC core modules and a plethora of Class A CE credits. You can explore 43 detailed articles covering various anesthesia topics, all from your favorite device, anytime, anywhere. And with over 40 pharmacology CE credits, meet your state board requirements effortlessly. Whether you need a few credits or everything to recertify, we have what you need. Just complete your credits online without any subscriptions or recurring charges. You can trust in our 100% CRNA-owned platform, established in 2011, ensuring you receive the best in customer service and educational content. Ready to learn? Go to crnaeducation.com, making continuing education easy and accessible. And don't forget that support is always a quick email or a text or phone call away. To sign up and learn more, just go to crnaeducation.com. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. 
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.